Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition costs. One can also audit such a course at a much less cost. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. This evening, we will be hearing from Dr. Tara O. Oh. Dr. O oh is the founder of the East Asia, Asia Research Center. She has worked at the Pentagon and the Republic of Korea U.S. Combined Forces Command as a U.S. Air Force officer focusing on East Asia issues. Her research areas include national security, alliance, human rights in North Korea, defectors, unification, and political and economic systems. Dr. O, welcome. The floor is yours. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, good evening. Uh, is it afternoon or evening? Somewhere in the middle, right? Um, well, first of all, thank you uh, to World Policy Institute for inviting me um, and uh, giving me this opportunity to talk about a very uh, um, topical issue. Let me um, get the slides up here. Um, can everyone see the slides? Okay. Okay. I'm, Hannah, can you see the slides? Okay, great. Okay. So uh, yes, the, today's topic is China's influence in South Korea, and it will begin with talking about the Belt and Road Initiative, but it'll cover much more than that. Um, so. And I put my Twitter account and my uh, website there in case you need more information uh, after my briefing. I'd like to give you some sort of uh, road ahead as some sort of outline. So again, I'm going to start with Belt and Road, but I will cover some of these other issues, which I will not talk about individually uh, on this slide, but I will talk about them throughout this next hour. Okay, when I <clears throat> Uh, search for Belt and Road Initiative in South Korea. Um, it's very little talked about, so I actually did not know that this existed. Uh, and as you can see from this map, this is one of many, many maps that leaves out Korea uh, when it shows the Belt and Road Initiative project. Uh, you see Japan on the right side, and to the left of Japan, you see the Korean Peninsula. And of course, the Korean Peninsula north is North Korea and southern part is South Korea. And you can see that um, Korea is outside of the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, usually uh, on the map. So the question is, is South Korea part of BRI or not? Well, let me show you the next uh, map. And this is map of South Korea. There's a, you see numerous Chinatowns there, almost 30. And that's what I was able to discover. There could be more. Um, now, the oldest one in South Korea, uh, the oldest Chinatown in South Korea is the one in Incheon. And I don't know if you can see the mouse. Uh, can you see the mouse moving around? OK, well, I'm going to assume that you do. Um, but anyway, it's, it's Incheon, which is on the left hand side. And that is about 100 years old. So that's the traditional Chinatown that I have known that existed in South Korea. But I was really shocked to see so many others that are there, and many of them are relatively new. Now, just because they're Chinatowns, that doesn't mean that they're part of the Belt and Road Initiative, but definitely some of them are, and I am going to talk about three of them today. One is the one in Chuncheon, which is right um, from Incheon, which is on the left-hand side. If you go to the middle, there's a city called Chuncheon, and that's in Gangwon province. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm also going to talk about the one in Jindo, which is all the way down south and to the west uh, corner. Jindo, J-I-N-D-O. That's uh, South Korea's third largest island. And I'm also going to, and if you go move up north, there's one in Pyeongtaek as well, which is on the west coast. It's a port. Um, and so those are the three Chinatowns that I'm going to talk about today. Um, but if you notice on this map, notice how many of them are along the coast. So if you go to the bottom right, uh, Busan, 
There's one in Busan, uh, which is a largest port in South Korea. And if you look to the left, there are also uh, one in Gwangyang and Yeosu. Chinatown's there. And then also Chinatown, as I mentioned, Jindo is the one that is planned. And if you look below that, there's an island, Jeju. Uh, this is also a province. And it's the largest island in South Korea. And notice that there are at least four Chinatowns there. And again, these are all new. Um, Jeju is also home of uh, South Korea's uh, large naval base that was recently built. So it has some national security implications as well. So let's, uh, let me just go to the next slide and show you how many are in Seoul. And you can see, easily see that five, six, seven, eight, uh, ten. 10, there are 10 Chinatowns within the city of Seoul as well. This is what a Chinatown looks like, when, what one might expect it to look like, where the tourists like to visit. And again, this is the one in Incheon, it's the oldest one, and it is expanded. Um, and Incheon is, of course, the famous uh, city, uh, it's second largest port city as well, but it, this is where the Incheon landing occurred during the Korean War and turned the tide. So that's the significance of Incheon. Now, look at this photo. It is, um, this is Chuncheon city, uh, one that is uh, planned and it looks very, very fancy and it's very, very large. It's 297 acres in a very, um, you know, South Korea's landmass is not very big. It's the size of Indiana and 297 acres of it will be developed to, it's not just Chinatown, but it's a China complex town. It's a cultural complex. So it's going to have a lot of Chinese cultural aspect to it and it's a complex, so it's going to have residential area, um, golf courses, as you can see, uh, but it will have a lot of different uh, buildings and projects within it. And this is 10 times larger than the one in Incheon. And you can see that they plan to invest about $540 million in it. Um, the governor there, Che Moon-soon, he actually went to Beijing in 2018. Uh, this was in December. He went there to sign a, uh, a MOU with the People's Network, which is um, owned by People's Daily, which is CCP's mouthpiece uh, and some other entities. And um, this is going to be a large, uh, again, complex. And um, China Daily, I'm sorry, People's Daily will be in charge of uh, providing the cultural content. So that's very interesting. But in addition to that, it'll also provide, um, it'll seek uh, Chinese investors. It will also be in charge of promotion and advertising. So it has a lot of uh, Chinese uh, um, participation in this complex. And one thing that I'd like to point out is the last point, which is that there are a lot of South Korean military facilities in that neighborhood. And so it's going to be very close to South Korea's military facilities, which raises national security questions. This is um, another one that is planned. This is in Jindo. And I mentioned that this is the third largest island on the southern and western tip of South Korea. And it's connected by a bridge, as you can see on the picture. Uh, by a bridge to the mainland of, uh, of South Korea. And what's shocking about this is that it's even bigger than the one you saw earlier. This is 8,969 acres. So it's about 28 times bigger than the one in Chuncheon. And this is uh, also uh, money-wise, it's $15 billion project, so it's huge. So the county of Jindo signed an agreement with China Railway Construction Corporation, which is owned by CCP. And interestingly, this China Railway Corporation was debarred by the World Bank because it falsified information when it tried to participate in uh, a procurement process for a highway project in the country of Georgia. So that's a reputation of that uh, CCP-owned organization, which will be the main uh, partner in creating this uh, large megaplex, uh, large China complex. And 
this is also a BRI, Belt and Road Initiative. Um, you know, I actually failed to mention that the Chuncheon one is BRI, a Belt and Road Initiative, because the governor also mentioned that is is a uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative in China. Now, what the governor said was that it is um, it is the only Belt and Road Initiative in China. So he's half right that it, that it is Belt and Road Initiative, but the other half is not quite correct because this one in Jindo is another Belt and Road Initiative. Um, there's even a association called South Korea China Belt and Road Initiative Association, which received money from this company called BP, uh, $900,000, impressing the BRI members in South Korea. This BP is um, also interesting because Apparently it is owned by Korea. It's Korea, Korean owned, but registered in Hong Kong. Uh, what's interesting is that there was a journalist uh, who wanted to find out more about this company, BP. And uh, um, there's a website and it lists a, a, the contact information like email and phone number, and he tried to contact them by those methods and no replies. Uh, apparently on the website, it also showed that there is a branch in Seoul. So he actually physically went to the building and the building manager told him that there is no such company in that building. So this is a very mysterious company, apparently with lots and lots of money because it can come up with $15 billion. Uh, it can broker uh, agreement between South Korea's local government and a huge uh, company in China, that, which is owned by CCP. So all of this is very, very strange. Um, but what's even more disconcerting is that uh, the project envisions that Chinese will migrate here, migrate to this uh, China um, complex town. And they plan to build universities, they plan to build, uh, I mean, it's not just residential areas, it'll have shopping areas, it'll have uh, hotels, it'll have uh, as I mentioned, at least one university. Um, it'll have electric cars, so it's very futuristic uh, type of uh, town. But again, they want to bring in Chinese to migrate there. And that sort of raises this question about um, annexation through immigration. And I say that because not only is it about immigration or migrating, Chinese migrating there, but in South Korea, Chinese foreigners, you know, but there are a lot of Chinese, uh, and they can, after three years of residence in South Korea, they can vote. So South Korean government gives them voting rights to foreign citizens uh, after they live there for three years. Um, now, uh, it seems like um, there are a lot of loopholes, so they actually can gain um, a, a, the voting right much sooner than three years. So that's also uh, a huge issue that a lot of Koreans don't know about. Um, so, but some Koreans did find out about this and they put up a petition on the Blue House website and Blue House is like our White House, so it's where the presidential um, residents and, and the offices are. And this petition said, please stop the construction of Jindo Chinatown because they don't want this, again, um, annexation by immigration uh, going on in that area. This is the last one that I will cover regarding Belt and Road Initiative. Um, this is one in Pyeongtaek. Again, looks very, very fancy. And um, uh, it's, uh, again, fairly large, not as large as Jindo, but the most significant part about this is that this is very close to the largest US military base in South Korea. And let me show you in the next slide. Here you see um, there are the three dots. You see one red dot and two blue dots. The red dot is where the Pyeongtaek Chinatown is located. I think they're still building this, but that's where the location is. And if you look just to the right of that, you see blue dot, and that is the site of um, Camp Humphreys, the largest US military base in, in South Korea. It's only five miles away. And if you go slightly north of that, you see another blue dot, and that is Osan Air Base. Now, I've you know, been stationed or worked in both places. The Osan um, is only about 50 miles away, and that is large US uh, Air Force Base, which is very, very important if something happens on the peninsula. So again, um, 
you know, you got this Pyeongtaek, uh, large Chinatown, very, very close to um, U.S. military facilities, which is also very. So there are force protection issues and national security implications. What's interesting again uh, about all this is that this is not really well known, not only internationally, but also within South Korea. And in fact, South Korean government also are very quiet about it. Um, the Prime Minister Lee Nagyuan, he actually, when he went to um, China back in um, 2019, so March 2019, he said that South Korea will actively participate in the BRI. But the Blue House denied it. Now, South Korean ambassador to China, Chang Ha-sung, he told Xi Jinping that South Korea wants to actively participate in the BRI. And uh, although, BA, uh, although the Blue House is denying it, this was shown on CCTV, which is Chinese uh, national TV. So it's hard to deny that there's Belt and Road Initiative, extensive Belt and Road Initiative going on in South Korea. Okay, so when we talk about China's influence, of course, we have to talk about the Confucius Institutes. Uh, of course, within the US, there are quite a few of these, and lately there are more and more that are being shut down in the United States. In South Korea, interestingly, the world's first Confucius Institute was built in South Korea in Gangnam area of Seoul, and Gangnam is the, the wealthy area within Seoul. And this was back in 2004. So this, uh, China's influence activity has been going on since uh, as far back as 2004, probably even earlier. There are a total of 23 Confucius Institutes in South Korea. And that means that South Korea has the largest number of Confucius Institutes among all the countries in Asia. So that's pretty significant. And we all know what, what that is used for. It's part of the United Front Department's um, uh, effort to use it as a tool for propaganda. And they teach about Chinese dream. Uh, in their textbooks, they talk about, they glorify communism, about Mao, about the Red Guards. So this is really about, again, it's a tool of China's uh, propaganda. But the awareness that this is a threat is very low in South Korea, again, because it's not really covered by the major media. and. Um, you know, I also like to point out that there are 70,000 Chinese students in South Korea, and we know that the Chinese, the CCP uses some of these students for, for propaganda purposes, including attending uh, demonstrations. And there are plenty of demonstrations in South Korea, and some have stated that they heard Chinese spoken um, at these rallies. Mm. So that's, you know, so far we've seen what China has been doing in terms of BRI and Confucius Institutes, but let me talk about how China has been treating South Korea. And this one, I am going to focus on how China treated South Korean President Moon Jae-in when he visited China back in December 2017. Uh, Moon became president in May 2017, so he visited uh, China that year, later that year, and stayed, uh, it was a four-day trip. And when Moon arrived in Beijing on 13th of December, he was supposed to have lunch with the Prime Minister, Li Keqiang, and dinner with Xi Jinping. Well, they both canceled that when he arrived. I mean, who does that to a, uh, you know, a head of the state? But Xi Jinping was gone. He was in Nanjing, and so he moved the dinner to the next day. Prime Minister, he moved, uh, he wasn't there either. So he moved the lunch, well, he canceled it and moved the meeting to the afternoon. And uh, there was no joint declaration, no joint press conference. And with, you know, over four days, a lot of uh, opportunities for meals with uh, different officials, different figures. And, um, but Moon, he only had two official meals during that time. So it was it was sort of uh, and, and one of them was with a city official where um, when he visited Chon, 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 Chon I'm not sure if I think uh, saying that correctly. Um, so they sort of um, sort of dismissed or mistreated uh, South Korea's president. But that was not the only thing uh, on that trip. There were two South Korean journalists that were beaten by the Chinese security guards. 
And this happened the next day, so day after his arrival. Moon attended the Rock uh, Republic of Korea uh, PRC Economic Partnership Convention, which was sponsored by COTRA. COTRA is a Korean government uh, entity that promotes trade. Um, <clears throat> and and this was this occurred in Beijing. And this is they had press pass and everything. They were they actually had every right to be there, but they were stopped. And uh, this particular man, the Chinese guards, about 10 of them surrounded him, they kicked him and they just beat him up. And what's interesting is they want, uh, there was a Blue House official that walked by to see what was going on. He peeked over and he just kept on walking. So there was no, um, you know, they ended up in hospitals and um, it seems like they, you know, uh, the visit continued and there was no immediate protest about the beating of the South Korean journalists. But what's more interesting is that despite all this mistreatment, this is what um, South Korea's President Moon did when he visited China. First of all, uh, he took a KBS orchestra. KBS is, stands for Korea Broadcasting Service and it's one of the, or actually it is the um, government owned broadcasting service and one of the uh, oldest in the country. So they have an orchestra that went along and they played out of all the uh, music that they could play. They played military anthem of the People's Liberation Army, um, paying tribute to the Chinese military. Well, uh, which is odd in itself, but this uh, military anthem used to be called the March of the Eighth Root Army, which is under Mao Zedong. And in this Eighth Road Army, there were some ethnic Koreans that were fighting uh, the Japanese uh, back in 1910s. You know, um, and around, well, 1910s, 20s, 30s. Um, <clears throat> and another important part about this is that Mao Zedong, during the Korean War, he sent some of these ethnic Koreans that were part of the Eighth Road Army to fight against South Korean and the UN forces during the Korean War. So they actually fought against fought against South Korea and and U.S. and all the you know members of um, you know UN sending states, and and KBS orchestra was playing tribute to that that um, to them. So that's again very very odd to say the least. But there are some other things that that Moon said, which is uh, shows sort of deference to China. Um, so these are just quotes and I'm going to read off that. I know you can see them, but I'll read off some of them. He said that China is not just China, but its existence shines when it socializes with surrounding countries. So China shines. And he also described China as the highest peak and other countries as, as small peaks. When he said, as the highest mountain peak socializes with the surrounding lower peaks, it is elevated even higher. And it describes China's great power and, and no one's gonna argue with that, uh, but he describes South Korea as a, small, like insignificant country. And this is when he talks about Chinese dream. Remember Confucius Institute talks about Chinese dream. Well, he talks about, he says, I hope the Chinese dream is not just for China, but for all of, uh, you know, actually, uh, I can't really see this as well, but um, but all the other countries and all for all the humanity. And I think that maybe Hong Kong would disagree with that. Maybe Taiwan would disagree with that. I think a lot of countries would disagree with that, but that's what um, South Korean President Moon Jae-in said. And he said that South Korea will join the Chinese dream and go together. So this is about uh, other links to China and China's uh, Communist Party. Um, Bad theater high altitude air defense. This is a uh, system that is designed to defend against missile threats. So remember where North Korea used to test all of these missiles? Um, well, even if they don't test missiles, they have a lot of missiles and they have different ranges. And of course, the short range missiles such as Scud uh, can reach South Korea. So because of that missile threat from North Korea, South Korean government and the uh, US government decided, their allies, right? So they decided to deploy that. Um, and when that was deployed to South Korea, there was huge, huge um, uh, opposition from China. And because it was deployed, um, China punished South Korea. 
Uh, and one of the things that it did was it took, um, uh, it punished South Korean uh, companies. So one was called Lotte, and it had a lot of gigantic uh, grocery stores and department stores and other presence in China. But they basically essentially have to give all that up and leave and lose billions and billions of dollars. So very strong uh, lashback from China regarding uh, that deployment to China. South Korea ended up uh, acceding to or saying agreeing to China's demand for three no's. And these three no's are one, no additional deployment of that, two, no joining of US-led missile defense uh, by South Korea, and number three, no trilateral South Korea-US-Japan um, alliance. Now, U.S. is alliance with South Korea, U.S. is alliance with Japan, and while Japan and South Korea are not alliance uh, by treaty, uh, there's close um, national security uh, relations because China, uh, I mean, uh, Japan is very important to China's security. I mean, not, I'm sorry, not Chinese, South Korea's security, uh, especially the because Japan hosts UN bases, which are really, really important if something does happen on the Korean Peninsula. But uh, interestingly, South Korea acceded to that. South Korea also, um, there was an election in April, April 15th uh, this year, um, that selected the National Assemblyman. And the South Korean National Election Commission interestingly selected LGU plus 5G network for internet, to provide internet at these um, voting stations. But the problem with this is that LGU plus 5G uses Huawei equipment, and we know what, what that means. It means a lot of data goes to China, uh, trying to have access to all kinds of data that's on that network. Um, let me talk about Cho Guk. Cho Guk is uh, Cho's last name. South Koreans use uh, last name first. So Cho Guk, uh, he was the defense, I mean, I'm sorry, justice minister for about a month, and he had to resign because of all kinds of scandals. Uh, and corruption, and one is related to this private equity fund called Coldlink Private Equity Fund. His family invested over a million dollars into this private equity fund, which turns out to be funded, $525 million of it was funded by uh, a Chinese CCP-owned uh, public corporation. So again, um, this is under investigation right now, but so some have been wondering whether some of that money was for some sort of political influence. Here's another shocking uh, item. Last year in July, the so Democratic Party of Korea, which is a ruling party, it's a party of the President Moon Jae-in, this party signed an agreement with the Communist Party of China. So what is the Democratic Party of Korea doing with uh, signing an agreement with Communist Party of China. Um, it sort of shows some of the leaning of some of the members. So let me talk about Chu Mie. She is the current justice minister, but back, uh, you know, when the, when she said this, um, back in 2017, she was a member of the Democratic Party of Korea. <clears throat> and this is what she had to say about land ownership. She said, if Henry George were alive, he could have supported the Chinese method of giving the land use right to Inmin. And Inmin, it means more than people, it means proletariat. It's a, it's a terminology used in communist world. So land use right to proletariat and the land ownership to the government. So she's talking about the state ownership of land and property, which is close to the CCP's uh, um, you know, idea of uh, ownership of property. But she's not the only one. Lee In-young, he is also, uh, he was a floor leader until very recently. And he also talked about collectivization of land and how he wants to input that phrase into the constitution. This party actually in 2018 wanted to change the constitution to delete freedom from it. And now that they have this uh, huge um, uh, landslide win, and they have, they don't quite have two thirds majority, but they it's very close and they will likely initiate changing the constitution again and this is something they like to do they want to talk about collectivization of land and put that in the uh, constitution so it's very dangerous this is chumie um again uh, with democratic party of korea she went to beijing in 2017 when beijing 
uh, hosted, uh, invited, so, so actually Chinese uh, CCP, they invited uh, various political parties around the world to hold this um, dialogue in Beijing in 2017. It, uh, it was over uh, several days in November and December. And Chu Mie, uh, the woman uh, there in wearing red, she was the keynote speaker. And here's a close up. You can see that in the background, it says Central Committee Communist Party. So, so Communist Party is hosting this and she's speaking at this event. So it just shows you that there's a lot of um, engagement or influence at the very highest levels of the South Korean government with the, the CCP. Uh, let me move to another topic um, that also shows China's influence and that is coronavirus. And we are still dealing with this here. Um, you know, when this first came out back in, uh, at least in the um, newspapers around the world back in January, the headlines read Wuhan virus or Wuhan coronavirus or China pneumonia. Those are the terms that were used back then. And what's interesting is the very first action that South Korea's government, the Blue House, took was to tell the reporters to use new type of coronavirus. So don't... They're, they did this to um, remove the uh, linkage to China, which is very odd. Why would that be the first thing that the Blue House do? But that's what that's what happened back in uh, January 27th. And I highlight this because when um, back in 2017, uh, you know, before the summit, before the summit with uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, the Blue House also told the reporters to use the honorific term chairman in front of Kim Jong-un. So you can't just say Kim Jong-un, you have to say chairman Kim Jong-un. So when they did that, uh, all the newspapers, South Korean newspapers started to use chairman in front of Kim Jong-un's name. And the thing is, they did that, they complied, because if they don't, then the Korean Communications, Korea, KCC, Korea Communications Commission, they can um, pull their licenses which means end of that company. So uh, because of that um, threat, they they uh, um, complied. And there's a case where uh, even the um, Lee Sochu, his wife should be called Yasa, which is another honorific term. And they wanted that term to apply to not only his wife, but also his sister, Kim Yo-jong, as well as, um, you know, there was a woman who was the head of this orchestra, this band, uh, another important figure in, in, you know, to Kim Jong-un. And there was a defector that was on TV and he referred to them as that woman. And he was then disinvited from appearing on TV uh, that he was scheduled to appear on. Um, and I think it's because that channel was afraid of what KCC would do because he didn't use that honorific term. So again, it's very important uh, step that the Blue House did this and it just shows how much influence there is uh, about China. So the next day, um, President Moon visits the National Medical Center. And one of the things he did was he sort of like threatened the, uh, the medical community saying that there are administrative, uh, you know, punitive measures that can be taken basically if this coronavirus spreads, um, which is very, um, not only odd, but very disheartening to those who are on the front line putting their lives at risk. On January 30th, he also mentioned that fake news about coronavirus is very, um, you know, sensitive and um, it'll be strictly dealt with. Again, uh, I'm not sure why these are his top priorities when it comes to dealing with coronavirus, but that was. So I point this out, that last piece out, the fake news part, because uh, fake news, the term, I mean, the definition is determined by whoever wanted to label it. But this is what happened. There's a journalist, uh, Song, that's his last name, Song Sang-hun. He was arrested uh, last week. I think it was last week, May 13th, um, because on his YouTube channel, he said, maybe he died of coronavirus. So because of that comment, he was arrested and uh, by city of Pyeongtaek. And just a little bit of background, um, he basically, there was a Chinese man in South Korea. He was sick and he was in front of this um, public clinic standing in line in order to take the coronavirus test. And while he was in line, he just fell over and died. 
And we've seen this uh, you know, video before elsewhere of people with coronavirus dying like that in China. Uh, so he just made a comment. Maybe he died of coronavirus and they labeled that as fake news and, and arrested him. So again, this is very overblown uh, response to what he said. Um, let me just continue on with what uh, what uh, Moon government's response was to this coronavirus. Uh, Lee In Young, I mentioned him earlier. He's the one who talked about putting uh, collectivization of land in the constitution. Uh, he also said China is a precious friend that South Korea must live with and help. Um, now, while they are saying all these things, they never expressed support for Hong Kong, who are out there protesting for their freedom. Um, and Moon Jae-in himself, he also said uh, China's difficulties are linked to our difficulties. He said South Korea should suffer together with China. Um, again, very. Uh, so this led a lot of the South Koreans to not only be shocked at what he said, but also, you know, wondered whether South Korea is being too submissive to China. And in a part of this, South Korea suffering together was that he did not block entry of people from China, uh, despite numerous calls by the people. They had signed Blue House petitions. Um, the Korean Medical Association, which is a group of doctors, they also have pleaded with the government to block ban entry from China. They did it at least six times. All of that were ignored. And um, this is where you know, when um, China, uh, South Korea have 10,000 tourists from China coming in daily, every single day, 10,000. So that's a large number. And, you know, uh, wouldn't there be somebody infected with coronavirus among that crowd? Just even a tiny portion would be enough. Uh, and also, this is when other countries were taking measures. Of course, U.S. shut borders on January 30th. Um, uh, so not borders, but banning entry from China. Um, Philippines did that, Israel did that, Italy did that, so, but not South Korea. I think we're almost uh, toward the, uh, getting uh, near the end, but um, let me just talk about what China's ambassador to South Korea have said, because it, this is really telling about how they feel about South Korea. Uh, so, Xing Haiming, uh, he is a newly arrived ambassador. He arrived uh, in South Korea on January 30, 30th, he held a conf press conference on February 4th. This is even before he was credentialed. Um, he basically urged South Korea not to ban entry of uh, those from China. And he said this, um, and he said, follow the WHO guideline. And we also know what WHO guideline was. You know, WHO was a bit slow as well. Uh, but he basically put pressure on South Korea not to ban entry. Uh, prior to him, it was Cho Gu Hong. He was the China's ambassador. And um, this is our, you know, what he said. He said that South Korea and China it, uh, together is, is a collective with shared destiny. Um, again, uh, this, is, uh, this is how um, China views South Korea. Uh, he also said that China will play a, an active or aggressive role on the Korean Peninsula. And it seems like it has so far. Um, but again, it just hasn't been um, uh, as uh, there's not much awareness about this in South Korea because the newspaper doesn't really cover it. The government doesn't really talk about it, but these are clearly going on in South Korea. So, uh, you know, I just <laughs> what next? I just want to point out that South Koreans do not want to be or submissive or subsumed under China. They don't want to be a vassal state. And most of them support South Korea and the U.S. alliance. So there's very a disconnect between South Koreans at large and the, what the South Korean government is doing, and um, the connection between South Korean government and the CCP is very, very disconcerting. So let me uh, stop there and uh, take some questions. All right, All right. we do have some questions um, coming in. Okay. okay. Um, from an anonymous attendee. Okay. Why isn't South Korea working more closely with Taiwan to counter Chinese influence? Um, so why why isn't South Korea doing that? Yes. Yeah, um, I think it's for the same reason that South Korean government does not provide or even say any support for the for those in Hong Kong. Um, 
you know, if you have seen, um, the current South Korean government is very pro-China, and that's why. Um, we have a question here from Robert Alberts. Mm -hmm. Politically, how did the South Korean people allow the CCP ideology to permeate their society? Yeah, a very good question. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't know this. So that's one. Um, as far as there being 23 Confucius Institutes, if you ask any Koreans walking down the street, they're not going to be able to name that because they don't know. A lot of people, they just don't know. The newspapers don't cover that. Uh, so one is because lack of awareness or, you know, very low level of awareness. Uh, and the other is um, they have looked at, well, first of all, China's a neighbor. China's neighbor, there's a lot of trade, economic activity, you know, going on between the two countries. And uh, in terms of volume of trade, at one point, U.S. was South Korea's top trade partner, but now it's, it's uh, China in terms of volume. Um, so they think that China is the future when it comes to economic well-being. So I think that's another, and of course that idea has been fed by the media and, and uh, some of the pro-China elements in South Korea. And I think that's why. Um, now, you know, when I talked about that dad, what, what uh, China has done to South Korea regarding that, a lot of people did not like China's response. You know, China threatened to withhold um, uh, um, tourists. And actually some of the Koreans said, good. You know, so they weren't, um, they're not, they're not um, pro-China or, you know, they don't want to be subsumed under China by any means, but it's just that the government is behaving very, very differently than the will of the most of the people. Another question here. Um, any signs that South Korean officials previously sympathetic to BRI are changing their minds in light of China's actions relative to the COVID situation? <laughs> uh, I think the short answer is no, um, because the people who are involved in Belt and Road Initiative, uh, like I said, the, the, so, the, so let's say the governor, governor of um, Gangwon province who signed that MOU in Beijing, um, he he's affiliated, his party is uh, Democratic Party of Korea. And that party in general is very pro-China leaning. And I think that there are a lot of uh, um, you know, politicians that are influenced by China. I mean, China is doing that with uh, politicians all over the world. You know, you hear about Australia and New Zealand and U.S. and Europe. China, I mean, South Korea is very, very close. It's right next door. It's, uh, you know, to think that they wouldn't, uh, that, that would be amazing. So. Why is there an apparent misconnect between the overall feelings of maintaining the U.S. ROK relations and the results of the most recent general elections? Regional disparities might explain it, but is it anything else? Um, yes, right now there's um, very controversial issue in South Korea about the election fraud. I mean, there could be many, many reasons, but election fraud is definitely one of the issues that's going on. And uh, we're looking at digital fraud um, because they used the uh, Huawei equipment that uh, provided um, uh, communications activity. Um, so uh, there has been a long list of discoveries that really makes people question the validity uh, in, in the whole um, you know, voting system and, and the outcome. Uh, for example, the voting, vote counting machine, uh, the National Election Commission assured people that it's, it's a dummy, you know, it doesn't contain any computer, you know, it doesn't have communications capability. But sure enough, it had all this like USB ports in the back. Um, it actually contained uh, some chips inside that actually communicates information or receive information, uh, including maybe potentially hacking. So. Um, so people are discovering things like this. And of course, uh, there was a study when they looked at the outcome and looked at the statistical data. Um, they found some of the very uh, strange uh, anomalies. And Walter Mabane is a uh, he's a professor at University of Michigan, and he is an expert in detecting voter fraud, election fraud. And he has ran he has this uh, statistical model that he uses. He runs all these numbers through and he has looked at over 400 elections. So he's a very expert in this field. And his conclusion after he ran this, um, ran the, all the data through his statistical model is that 
yes, there was a fraud. Um, but again, uh, you know, that's that's one one um, you know data point. But again, this is an issue. And what's more interesting is that the National Election Commission, which is supposed to be a neutral body, is uh, sort of resisting the public's call to do the recount and also to do the investigation, uh, including handing over some of the electronic equipment. They're not uh, co cooperating despite the uh, court order. So again, there's something definitely going on there. Another question here. Thank you for your presentation. Most of what you talked about has been in the South Korean news, and it is not new that liberal South Korean presidents have always sided with the Chinese. What exactly do you think is a new indicator of China's influence in Korea via their Belt and Road Initiative? Um, OK, so let me. Um, so when he says, I, is he saying that the Chinese influence goes further back than the current administration? Is that, is that the point or what's the? Because as I mentioned, Confucius Institute that was built in 2004. So yes, it, it goes back further. It goes back further. Um, uh, actually, that was that was actually during the Romuyun administration, um, who you know he's very close. Uh, current Moon Jae-in, he, he practiced law together with uh, Romuyun. So, and he was, uh, um, you know, when Romuyun went to the Blue House as a president, um, current president Moon Jae-in, he was he went to the Blue House, uh, served as chief of staff among other positions. Um, but. Um, so is he, is he talking about uh, the fact that it goes back further or is it talking about? Yeah, I think the um, end question there is what exactly do you think is a new indicator of China's influence in Korea via their Belt and Road Initiative? So these large projects that I just mentioned, the, um, so like I said, not all Chinatowns are considered BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, but the ones that they specifically said is a BRI, is the one in Jindo, the, remember the third largest island, the huge project? That's one. And that was signed, um, that was just uh, within the last year or two. So this is after President Moon came in. Um, came in. Uh, and the other one, one at Chuncheon, that is also uh, the MOU was signed in 2018, December 2018. So this happened after he came. So it, I would say it has accelerated under President Moon. Another question here, given the tension between the US and China, what will be South Korea's role forward with regard to North Korea? Uh, OK, so I, I think maybe uh, let me break down. Um, so South Korea is an ally of the United States. And regarding North Korea, I, I mean, are we talking about denuclearization or? Uh, so if we're talking about denuclearization of, of North Korea, um, I think I think at least everyone is, uh, you know, China, South Korea, um, U.S. are in agreement that U.S. I mean that North Korea should be denuclearized. I think the agreement is there. Um, so what is South Korea's role? I think South Korea's role is to um, <clears throat> work closely with this ally, the United States. Um, and right now, um, we are focused on the sanctions. So South Korea should also uh, abide by the UN sanctions as well. Uh, so I would say that we're closely with the, with the ally US. You mentioned Chinese who have the right to vote in South Korea. Are Chinese actually exercising their ballots and political power to gain the pro-China policy of current government? Was there any significant example about this in the past? Um, so very little is written about this. Um, so but um, so I think that is an area that requires more research. But in addition to the Chinese being able to vote, um, the Democratic Party of Korea, they're also uh, the members of the members also want to pursue uh, or pass a law that gives automatic uh, South Korean citizenship, which means also voting rights, to those foreign students who graduate uh, with bachelor's degree in South Korea. Now, majority, I think about 70% of those students are Chinese students. And there are 70,000 students in, China, uh, in the South Korea, so, uh, or enrolled in South Korea. So it's to give them uh, automatic citizenship, uh, 
after they get their, uh, you know, four years of <clears throat> or bachelor's degree, uh, that's just going to increase tremendously increase the number of people uh, who are from China who can vote. Um, and, you know, in other countries, we have a lot of reporting that says that a lot of the, some of these Chinese students are influenced by uh, the CCP officials through their embassies. So. Another question here, what South Korean demographic, if any, aligns more with the CCP? Is the CCP targeting all of South Korean society with propaganda? I think CCP in, in South Korea, they're being very, very quiet. So I think relative to their influence and their activities, hardly anything is discussed. Um, so again, that is very strange, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like perfect way of doing subversion when people don't even know that it is occurring. So um, I think a lot of people are just not aware. I think that is the main problem. People not aware um, because it's not covered by the media in general. You mentioned that there are loopholes in granting South Korean citizenship to foreigners in three years after they immigrate to South Korea. What are they? Um, so I can think of, um, let me just talk about one. Um, so let's say they uh, make a huge investment, then they can expedite that process. So if you invest, you know, bring a lot of money into Korea and invest, then that can expedite the process. So. I mean, I don't have a list of everything, but I, I, that's one of them. Do you believe that a multilateral security structure would resolve the North Korea issue regarding denuclearization? Um, do I believe in multilateral structure for, you mean like the six party talks? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we have moved on from that. Uh, I mean, we tried it. I, I don't know for how many years we've tried it. So um, uh, it has not worked. So. You know, here we are, and North Korea has uh, advanced their nuclear weapons program even more since then. Um, so, I mean, we'll have to see where this goes. But um, uh, from what I'm am reading, that they are definitely hurting by the by, by the sanctions. Yeah, so, so we have to see. You know how? I mean, we can. There's definitely room to apply more sanctions for sure. Do you think the U.S.'s decision to defund the World Health Organization helps or hurts Taiwan's efforts to be recognized as an independent nation? <laughs> you know, that is like so totally outside of the topic that I'm discussing. Uh, so maybe I'll leave that to, you know, um, others who are, you know, experts in that field. In their eyes, what do South Korean politicians get for being pro-China? What is the quid pro quo in their eyes, especially if there's no popular support for China? Quid pro quo to whom? To the uh, Korean people or the Korean politicians? I'm assuming the Korean politicians. Okay. Um, well, I mean, so the um, United Front Department and their method of buying off politicians is, you know, traditional methods like money or, you know, there are other incentives, I'm sure. Um, but I think um, not particularly in the Korean case, but their modus operandi is um, there are enough uh, written about how they do, the, how they buy off politicians. Um, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, probably one of the oldest, um, you know, <laughs> projects that, uh, you know, countries have worked on. So I, I think there's plenty of information regarding that. And I think it does involve money, among other things. Um, Another question here, given the proximity of uh, Pyongyang, Chinatown to mm -hmm. Osan Air Base, to what degree are China's and North Korea's intelligence services collaborating in their efforts to spy on U.S. military bases and personnel in South Korea? Yeah, I, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't have the answer to that, uh, but I think if you go back to their interests, you know, they have common interests. Um, their common interest is that they don't want U.S. forces there to protect South Korea. So, um, you know, if you start from their common interests, you can sort of see where that would lead them to do. 
Are there any student reactions from the local Korean universities regarding the pro-China statements of the Korean politicians? Um, I, you know, I really haven't seen much. Um, again, uh, it's not, again, awareness is just so low, but when it does become an issue, you know, such as what China did to South Korea when, uh, when that was deployed, um, there are a lot of, uh, among younger generation of South Koreans, they definitely did not like tr being treated that way. So there are reactions if they know about it. Okay, another question here. Can you describe the Chinese cultural complexes a little bit more? I think one of the slides mentioned that there would be free trade zones involved. What sort of businesses slash industries would be there? Um, yeah, so I don't have all the information, but uh, you know, a lot of countries have a free economic zone, or you know, those zones that are um, where uh, there's it's like duty free. So that's there's they sort of fall um, in order to promote the investment there. They sort of allow certain things to happen that are uh, so maybe maybe again duty free, some sort of tax benefits to the investors. Um, now. Okay, I don't know for sure, but uh, within this Chinese complex uh, cities, uh, again, uh, there were some suspicions of maybe even bringing Chinese police to enforce the order, which would definitely be, um, you know, basically giving up the territory to China. Um, now, I haven't seen any um, definitive documents on those, so I just want to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, these are uh, hypothetical, but. Again, it's it just means that it falls outside of the regular laws and rules that the rest of the territory falls under. Another question, um, what impact will China's escalating trade conflict with the US have on South Korea? Um, I think, uh, you know, when South, I mean, South Korea, I mean, uh, United States and China are two you know, large countries. And uh, when their trades are, um, you know, <clears throat> affected, it'll probably have some impact on, on South Korea as well. Um, but I, I think right now the trend is a lot of the companies are moving out of China, uh, you know, U.S. companies, maybe some of the other companies. Um, some of the South Korean companies, because of the bad, you know, what happened to their bad and, uh, you know, how they really went after some of these companies, some of them have also relocated to other countries even before this coronavirus. So, but in terms of uh, South Korea's economy, it actually uh, started to really, uh, started to go down, like, for example, its economic growth forecasted started to be, it started to go down. Um, its uh, national debt has just jumped. National budget has ballooned, again, under the Moon administration. So its economy uh, is not, uh, even without the coronavirus, even without the tension between U.S. and uh, China, it was already going downhill. So this will probably not going to help. Does South Korea have in place a mechanism for national security screening of foreign investments? Um, I don't know that, but from what I've seen, again, with this, this BRI projects in Chuncheon and Jindo, um, I don't think that's the case, but I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, another question, can you expand on your comment about annexation through immigration? Do you mean that Chinese immigrants in South Korea would somehow facilitate annexation of South Korea by China? Um, I, I think the concern that, you know, some of the Koreans, you know, in the region had, um, I think we sort of need to look at look at history. Uh, we know like Stalin has relocated uh, populated people to different places in order to expand the territory. Um, China has are relocating some of the Chinese, Han Chinese, I would say, um, to Uyghur area, you know, where they are going in physically living in these houses. You know, they took away the men uh, to prison camps and then um, they go and live with the women. <laughs> uh, so I, again, these are I mean, in South, in this, uh, with this Chinatown, you know, complex towns, it's not quite like that. But given that they want to create this, um, like, uh, some sort of fusion of culture, um, they want to, 
uh, again, you know, with the voting rights, um, I, I think the, you know, some of the concerns that South Koreans have, I, I think it's genuine given the history. Well, I believe that is all the time that we have today. I apologize if we weren't able to get to your questions, um, but I would like to thank Dr. O for joining us today and all of you who attended here on Microsoft Teams. If you're interested in attending other upcoming webinar events, supporting IWP, or applying to one of our graduate programs, please go to iwp.edu. Again, that is iwp.edu. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, everyone.